You are listening to the Birth Bruja podcast, an extension of birthbruja.com. We are an online educational platform devoted to decolonial approaches to healing and reproductive care. Here, my friends, we get personal, we get political, we talk business, we talk shit, we talk pleasure. We learn and unlearn and find growth by embodying practices of healing and justice. I'm your host, Eric Guajardo Johnson. My pronouns are she and they. Let's dive in. Sweet community, hello. It feels so nice to be speaking to you across the podcast interwebs. I have effectively hardcore ghosted you. It's been over a year since the Birth Bruja podcast has been a thing. Uh, last episode was in 2020, and I had huge visions and dreams with extraordinary people. Um, and then life happened, and it kept happening, and it got really, really fucking hard. Um, sneak peek into what I will share in another episode. Uh, but yeah, y'all, depression hit hardcore. Um Divorce hit hardcore and all my balls fell to the ground and I had to learn how to pick them up one at a time. And since then, now I'm back and there's some incredible things happening on the Birth Bruja platform. Um, there's, I have a team member joining me. There's going to be guests hosts on this podcast. So y'all are going to get more episodes with even wider perspective than what I could offer. Um, so I just want to say sorry. Sorry for ghosting you. Um, I am a double Aquarius. So ghosting and burrowing is part of my love language, but also is coming back and earning your, your affections once more. So just give me a chance. Give me a chance. So without further ado, um, today's guest is a phenomenal human being. Their name is Kai Tyson. Their pronouns are they, them. Kai is an unapologetic Southern queer black femme who enjoys yoga, building community, laughing, subverting the gender binary, and reminding people that they can fire their doctors. Kai is a sacred transition guide, entrepreneur, healer, consultant, and educator. As the founder of Kaluntu Reproductive Justice Center, Kai is working towards a world in which Black women and femmes can live, thrive, and raise healthy families freely within a healthy community. Kai loves to hike, sew, thrift, create art, sing, and dream of a world in which education is intuitive and culturally responsive. They are originally from Nashville, Tennessee, and currently reside in Atlanta, Georgia. Without further ado, friends, let us begin our conversation with Kai. Welcome, Kai. Thank you so much for launching off the Birth Bruja podcast for 2022. How are you feeling today? I am feeling really good. How are you feeling? I am feeling pretty solid as well. Um, I really, for the, arguably the first time in my adult life, have been utilizing the full energy of this season. And I've been really doing my best to prioritizing rest and moving slow. And I yes. feel the impact on my body. You know, the things you've been like wanting to do for many, many years and you can like talk about it, but like actually yeah. having it be embodied <laughs> hasn't yeah. been something you've been able to do. Yeah, I'm I'm just in that place. So I'm feeling feeling really good about it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been in a similar, um, a similar mood. Um, sorry, if y'all can hear the sounds of the community around me, school just let out and there's a school uh, around the corner from my house. So I think I hear a school bus and some people with some really loud sound systems on their cars. So I apologize for that. But um yeah, no, I have been hibernating as well or like preparing to hibernate. And it's kind of funny because like, honestly, I got really burnt out in maybe like October. I mean, really probably from like September through November, if I'm being honest. And so like Thanksgiving was kind of my like 
finish line, like, okay, let me get to Thanksgiving and then I will feel like I can breathe. And so I got to Thanksgiving and honestly, the couple of weeks since I just haven't even wanted to work. And so many of my like meetings have gotten canceled and stuff. It's been great. Um, and I guess I should say Thanksgiving, since I brought it up, like I don't, I do not celebrate Thanksgiving. I do not celebrate colonizers. I just use it as a, uh, as a, as a marker. And, um, I definitely spent that day in contemplation with my, um, indigenous ancestors, but, uh, no, that is always, that is usually like my time of the year when I'm like, okay, I, I think I've given all I can give and it's time for me to start to shut it down for the year. Thank you. Yeah, uh, the for sure that our listeners range from folks who have been recognizing Thanksgiving as a day of mourning for a while, at yeah. least, and then folks who are new to it. So so thank you for talking that out. Honestly, friend, I today's conversation, as folks know, we'll be talking about your thoughts and your practice around running an anti-capitalist doula business. And I think this is so wildly appropriate as a launched 2022 for the following reasons. One of it being that part of my connection to this, this winter season has been reading more around pagan and indigenous thoughts around this season. And I've been actually looking, I say pagan explicitly, part of my ancestry is German. And I say pagan explicitly because also I'm currently residing in Michigan and occupied Anishinaabe Potawatomi land. And so the seasons are very pronounced. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the pagan traditions speak to the seasons being so pronounced and whatnot. And and the more I've been reading about it, the more that it's so offensive <laughs> that modern society and colonized spaces have moved so far away from our practices because starting in October, right, with like Dia de Muertos, with Samhain, the ancestral energy is moving hardcore. Yeah, that um, veil gets so thin and then, yeah. Yeah, and it continues. <laughs> yeah, it, and I mean, it shifts, but it also continues yeah. to to the winter solstice. And that's exactly. why so many traditions across the globe honor that. The more I read about it, I'm just like, oh, like this level of fragility, the, this level of wanting to be slow, that's not just seasonal. That's like straight up spiritual energy yeah. coursing through. I, I love this conversation because I really think about, um, you know, we're talking about anti-capitalist, which is ultimately anti-colonizer and anti white, honestly, if, if, uh, if I can be so frank, but, um, like white people are really into like separating humanity from animals and that we are a higher being. We are more evolved, right? We saw that that was the, a lot of the argument. That's a lot of their argument. Anytime they want to dehumanize anyone is just to compare them to animals. But as, as we often know, black and brown folks, the white folks have it backwards, completely backwards. Um, we are animals, and that is not a bad thing. We are animals, and we are also spiritual beings, and we are also one with the earth and with the sun and with the rotation of the planets in the solar system. Like we are deeply connected to those, to all those things, so much so that throughout societies, we have all desired to rest at this time of the year, every year for millennia. And so like the audacity that white people have to think that like, oh, we're better than animals and we're better than whatever else. Like, no, animals, they they let their intuition guide them. They let their bodies guide them. Like they use the most divine intelligence. It's, it, it's insulting to humans and to animals to pretend like we're not animals. And so like for me, I l- literally use the word hibernate purposefully because I am hibernating because I'm an animal and my body needs that and my 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 body desires that and that's not something that I want to shy away from. I call myself, I don't usually call myself this out loud or like in public because I don't expect people to get it, but I call myself a primal femme. My body craves that connection to the earth and that connection to outside and animals and like just the earth and the world around us and I think we as much as we are spiritual and like there's the spiritual things that are happening at this time like those are also deeply connected to the animals those are also deeply connected to you know the earth and i remember like seeing an article yeah. one time the headline was basically like elephants worship the moon 
but that elephants revere the moon and the full moon and they like keep track of the moon phases. We're all connected. Did this reverence for seasons and for rest and for our bodies and for spiritual presence, like that is all 1 million percent aspects of decolonial work. And we bring all of that into this conversation when we're talking about anti-capitalism. So yeah. that is fucking poetic. And I appreciate you being on the same wavelength with me in that regards. Um, So we have a lot of really juicy bits to jump into today. So if I may, I would love, friend, for you to um, introduce yourself by first sharing your, saying your name, your pronouns, and your location. Yeah, uh, my name is Kai Tyson. My pronouns are they, them. I am on occupied Muscogee land or in Atlanta, Georgia, and I have been here for about six years. Are there any aspects of your people, your community, anyone that you want to honor at the beginning of this conversation uh, by inviting them into our space? Yeah, for sure. I learned so many of the things that I know about children, about child rearing and just about life of course from my grandmothers my one of my grandmothers is still with us and that's Marilyn Tyson and uh, she lives in New York and then my other grandmother is an ancestor her name is Lordell Blue I also would love to shout out my great-grandmothers Bernitha Day, Catherine Tyson, Doy Blue, and Velma Fossey I am because they were and they still are. I always want to bring my ancestors into the space. And then I also love to uplift the names of the ancestors known and unknown who have been victims of the maternal mortality crisis, victims of reproductive injustices and birth injustices throughout the history of the United States, including Lucy, Betsy, and Anarka. And like I said, I'm sure there are hundreds, if not thousands, whose names we do not know. And yeah, I heavily identify as Southern, and so I'm always going to shout out the South. I'm always going to shout out the folks whose ancestors built this country um, and the folks whose ancestors were killed and, and driven away from their lands and targeted and also enslaved and all the things um, because my ancestors are both of those groups. Just taking a few breaths and really feeling in my body all the power and resilience and creativity that you just brought in. Also, that statement, I am, because they were and they still are, I wrote that down. And I'm going to think about that for a while. That was just so meaningful. From here, we will be speaking more about your own experiences in your work, but for folks who are meeting you for the first time uh, in today's conversation, would you please share a bit about how you came to this work of reproductive care and how the Kuluntu Reproductive Justice uh, Center was born? That can be kind of a long story, so I'll try to keep it short. So I went to college like a, you know, like any good millennial and got a bunch of debt and um, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to work in nonprofits and I realized they were corrupt. And then I wanted to work in education, realized that was corrupt. And I was working in all these different areas. And I had I always had this like inner calling, I guess, to like do something bigger or do something deeper. Like if I ever had a job where I was just doing something that that I didn't feel like was a was positively contributing, I guess, to society, like I would be depressed. I would not feel like I was doing the work that I was supposed to be doing. And so always kind of been on this journey to figure out exactly what my thing is going to be. I've worked in education everywhere from literal like infants and toddlers all the way up to higher education. I've worked with adult learners and I've worked in a lot of different areas where I was just trying to figure out like who who is struggling in these particular systems or these particular areas and like how can I help them? And I always saw the bullshit in all the systems for what it was, whether it was nonprofits, whether it was education, higher education, K through 12. Yeah, I'm in all these systems and all these jobs. And I'm just like, this is all trash. And I just want to burn it all down. And so eventually, 
it's part of it was part of my journey to to be in all these different areas and see the same system and how it manifests in so many different areas in order for for me to thoroughly see like I cannot do the work that I want to do in the system so therefore I have to build my own Kaluntu came about as I was quitting my job in higher education and deciding to leave the field of higher education and I also decided to train to become a doula. And it was it was kind of in the back of my head for a little bit because my sister had had a baby a couple of years before and like some of her experiences, I was like, I feel like I should know these things. And I don't about our bodies and about, you know, what happens during labor and delivery and like even with pregnancy and stuff. And then, you know, I realized, you know, I want to have this information for the people in my community who are having babies. I, I took all of this energy that I had for seeing what, what my sister went through and then the maternal mortality crisis and all these things. And I'm like, wow, this all really sucks. So, um, yeah, I decided to become a doula and I started my doula business and I'm, you know, going to all these like doula events and doula professional development things. And this is before the pandemic, of course. And I'm realizing how cisgender it is. And I'm in Atlanta, so it's not necessarily white, but it's just very cisgender. It's just very aggressively cisgender. But it just grossed me out, honestly, how gendered not only birth worker spaces are, but then also just pregnancy and having children in general is really gendered. And then, of course, child rearing is extremely gendered and all that stuff just grossed me out. And so between that and just seeing that there's not a lot of spaces for queer and trans people to have conversations around parenting and whether they're already parents or want to be parents or they're pregnant or they're in the process, whatever it is, I just... I really saw a gap in the birth work world and I really wanted to bridge the gap between reproductive health and reproductive justice because there's, for some reason, there's a gap there and then a gap between birth work and reproductive justice and like these really progressive notions that we have in the reproductive justice realm. And I guess to back up a little bit, as I was quitting my education job, I was also getting more involved in reproductive justice. So at the same time as I'm having these experiences and building this business, I'm also learning more and more about RJ and how reproductive justice really calls for us to fight for our whole selves and our whole families. Mm. I know that was kind of long, but that's I where mean, we are. <laughs> and your work is incredibly dynamic. And I'm actually, I'm glad that we pause there only because sneak peek to listeners uh, before I hit record, Kai already agreed to have more conversations on this podcast. And one of them for sure, for sure, many of them, I imagine will be diving into a lot of what you just shared, like, right. Specifically, there's such a huge disconnect between RJ and mainstream birth work specifically. Absolutely. Um, so. So I'm so pumped for that. And just looking at the time, if it's cool with you, can we dive into explicitly today's conversation? Yeah. All right. So for folks who, so, so there's going to be quite a few folks who are going to be listening to this with very little to no prior conversation around anti-capitalism and what it means and why is it important um, would you mind starting off speaking to those bits? Absolutely. Um, so capitalism, I mean, I think it's a more mainstream uh, notion now that capitalism is harmful. Um, I don't think that's a an inflammatory thing to say anymore. I feel like 10 years ago, you know, someone would have like called me a blasphemer or something, but it's becoming more and more commonplace to understand that like capitalism is harmful. I, which I'm grateful for. The United States brand of capitalism, because I know that there's plenty of people who will argue, you know, the different types of capitalism, which I'm not an economist or anything. So this is just my experience and my understanding. But the American brand of capitalism is especially harmful. And the reason why it's especially harmful, which is ultimately why the U.S. avoids this conversation, is because capitalism is literally built on and based off of black people's bodies. And when I say that, like, I think sometimes I've, 
side note, I really hate when we say like black bodies or like we say anything that like separates our humanity away from the rest of us. Like when you say black bodies, like body just kind of like divorces our humanity and our like spirituality from our body. It's all of us, not just our bodies. But anyways, I would also add to that, that capitalism is, is uh, based on not just the exploitation of black bodies and labor uh, mm-hmm. in culture, but also indigenous folks. I mean, again, because yeah, we're talking yeah. specifically for today's conversation within the context of the U.S. Yeah, it is literal bodies and also yeah. labor and and culture. and yeah. yeah, spiritually, there's, uh, and I don't know too much about this. I'm, I'm no expert in any of this stuff, but like spiritually, blood magic is one of the most powerful forms of magic. And so literally when people's bodies when people are murdered for the sake of capitalism, like that blood only intensifies the capitalism, honestly. Yeah, just just death and destruction and all that just adds to capitalism and makes it more more powerful. But anyways. If I may actually restate yeah. the question, if you don't mind. By the way, I'm like I'm like nodding my face off right now because <laughs> that's such a huge question and you just like beautifully created this umbrella for us. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um and and I want to reframe my question to ask you um specifically related to reproductive care, right? Those of yeah. us who are taking a professional shape with our reproductive care for others. Why is having a critique of capitalism, let alone a strategy for anti-capitalism, why is that something that we should be considering when we are shaping our business plans and our mission statements, et cetera? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that reframe. So all the things that I said before, right? Like capitalism, it is a framework that this that our society is kind of built around as birth workers yes we are birth workers and the work that we're doing is to care for um, birthing folks their families infants etc etc and if we desire for our birth work to be something that sustains us and helps us pay our bills and take care of our families then we must look at it as a business so Sometimes I get into like the business speak, but like this is still the purpose of it being run like a business is so that it will actually be around in five years. Because if you are not paying yourself, then you're going to burn out. If you're not paying yourself enough, then you're going to burn out. If you are, you know, doing, yeah, if you're doing unpaid labor, you're eventually going to burn out. So I approach my work in this way because I acknowledge that it's important not only for all these birth workers to become birth workers and to be trained up and to get clients, but for us also to still be here in five years. That is the most important thing for me is to make sure that we are able to pay our bills and take care of ourselves. Because if the healers are not, and I I call birth workers healers, if you don't identify as a healer, I respect that. Um, But birth workers are, are healers in my book. And so if the healers are not taken care of, whether it's their material needs or your self-care or your mental health or whatever it is, then you're not going to be able to heal effectively. First off, doulas are not a magic wand that will fix the maternal mortality crisis. But also, we don't just need a bunch of doulas. We need good doulas who actually care, who are willing to always be learning, who are willing to take care of themselves so that they can take care of other people. So we have to examine capitalism because capitalism tells us, especially black and brown women and femmes, that our labor doesn't matter, that our expertise doesn't matter, that we don't deserve to be paid for our services, that we don't deserve to be paid for our our labor. And examining capitalism is really examining anything that says that we don't deserve to have more than enough that we don't deserve to thrive. And I'm not necessarily one of these that's on like the luxury train. Like, I think there's a time and a place for everything. You know, everyone likes nice things here and there, but like, I just mean that we deserve to like have all of our needs taken care of and then a little bit more and to really not only just survive, but to thrive. And if you are called to being a birth worker, if it is your purpose, if you feel it deep down in your bones that you are supposed to be a birth worker, then as your community, from an ancestral and a traditional uh, uh, black and brown standpoint, we need to take care of you and make sure that you are taken care of. 
And so examining capitalism means not only looking at all these systems that exist around us and questioning how how they exist and whether or not we find value in them and whether or not we want them to be a part of our business, but then also purposefully Sankofa going back to get it and going back to get those ancestral ways of doing business, those ancestral ways of building community, those ancestral ways of being a healer, because business isn't the problem, like necessarily having a business, like businesses have existed for millennia. Money isn't the problem. Money has existed for millennia. The problem is this particular context of capitalism that has tainted literally everything that we touch and that we have to be willing to look at and say, well, you know, even if I could hire a virtual assistant from India for $5 an hour, I'm going to, you know, maybe I can't afford to pay someone in the US $25 an hour or a living wage. That's fine. But like, what is a living wage in India? Maybe I can afford to pay this person in India $10 an hour, $15 an hour, something. But like so many things in capitalism, especially when we're looking at like entrepreneurial advice or like small business advice is like, here's how you do as much as you can with as little as, you know, as little as possible. Cause you know, most of us, we're just building our businesses one penny at a time, but like we can do that without screwing other people over. We can do that without um, contributing to people not being able to have a live, make a living wage. We can do that without, you know, kicking, kicking somebody else so that we can be stand a little bit taller. You know, we can do that while caring for each other and loving each other, which is like, when I say anti-capitalist, that's really all I'm saying is like, treat humans like you care about them. And like, you know, what you're saying is making it sound like common sense, which in a lot of ways it totally is. And for folks who perhaps haven't taken a um, certificate, especially mainstream certificate, doula training. Mm -hmm. Y'all, this is what they teach us in the mainstream things is they teach us an approach to reproductive care that is based in scarcity, Mm. that is based on um, competition. Yep. And it's based on saviorism and martyrdom and all of those dynamics coalesce into the toxicity. Yep. The, the toxic soup that is capitalism. And and I wanted to also, in my opinion, it's kind of hard to talk about this when it comes to specifically birth work without falling into a rabbit hole. So it's totally your decision, Kai, on if you want mm-hmm. to go into this or not. But just as you mentioned, there's in a lot of mainstream birth work spaces, whether it be mm-hmm. for BIPOC folk or white folk, or whatever, it's very much cisgendered, heterosexual mm-hmm. dominated. And I would also add Christian dominated too. Oh yeah. Um, and therefore the, there is this really gendered notion of femininity being an aspect of our, our like what we're being taught for mm-hmm. care and also what we're being taught for business models. And so I'm bringing this up because one of the notes that, you know, you and I exchanged before today's conversation is talking about how important it is that, especially for folks who identify as a woman and or a femme, and especially those of us who identify as a woman or femme of color, Mm -hmm. how important it is for us to prioritize decolonizing our relationship with money. And so if you want to dive, if you feel like diving into the, the, the gender aspect of it, please do. If not, like, would you mind diving into what that could look like to decolonize yeah. a relationship with money? Yeah. Side note, I was an English teacher at one point. And so I'm a little bit of a, of a word nerd and etymology nerd. And so like decolonize and words like it kind of kind of rub me the wrong way because we're still centering colonization um, because we just threw a prefix on on colonize. And just like if we say non-men, we're still centering men. If we say decolonize, we're still centering colonization. I'm still figuring out a, a replacement word, something along the lines of relearning our ancestral ways. Um, that doesn't quite roll off the tongue like decolonize does. But also I was listening. Oh, crap. I was listening to a podcast, I think. I wish I remembered. I apologize. I don't mean to plagiarize anyone. I usually like to give credit, but I can't think of who it was. 
but they were saying basically how like the word decolonize had kind of lost it, its meaning. You know, it's become the latest buzzword or whatever. And like, they kind of broke it down and were saying that like, there's this beauty of like a lot of black and indigenous and brown cultures of like, we have all these aspects that we don't necessarily have words for. And once we put a word on it, especially an English word on it, it kind of, it automatically like devalues it a little bit because it, it, it took this thing that was very nebulous and made it concrete, which automatically like cut a lot of it off. Anyways, my point is to, um, a lot of decolonizing work is for us to learn what we used to do before we forgot. So whatever your cultures are, whatever your lineage is, if you are, you know, if you are, are fortunate enough to have uh, specifics around what that is, you know, do some research around what those groups do. You know, how, how did they live and how did they exchange money and how did they, you know, especially with birth, obviously, like what were their birth rituals and, and traditions and things, but like also just how did they interact with each other? But I think the gendered piece in this country, a lot of the things that we've learned, especially as women of color and femmes of color, is that emotional labor shouldn't be paid for and that emotional labor isn't valuable and that quote unquote soft skills aren't valuable. But I was saying this before we hit record. A lot of the quote unquote soft skills, like we don't learn them because people don't value them. And by people, I mean patriarchal capitalistic society doesn't value the importance of making and keeping friends and conflict management and whatever else. Like in this society, if there's a conflict, then you just bomb them, I guess, or you just like completely annihilate them. Like there's no uh, reverence for those, those relationship building skills and things like that. And so when we're decolonizing our um, relationship with money, then we, I think we really think about our relationship building skills, those soft skills. We think about the things that maybe, you know, this society wouldn't necessarily put a dollar amount on or wouldn't necessarily say is an important part of your job, but maybe that is an important part of your job. Maybe that's the most important part of your job and really thinking about like thinking outside the box of like what a job looks like or what you could get paid for. Like people, like you could get paid for so many different things. You could do so many different things in your life. You don't have to be limited to anything that, that anyone else is doing, any kind of other birth worker is doing. You don't have to be limited to what, you know, the small business community says or whatever. Like it's, it really is like letting your imagination and your history guide you in what in thinking of ways to reimagine your relationship to this particular thing. So in this case, money. I love that so much, that framing and the word that's coming hardcore for me is the, the word reciprocity mm. and how reciprocity, I feel, is a reflection of all those nuances you just described, how reciprocity is, it includes non-monetary exchange. It right. includes the navigation, it includes the dynamic where one client will feed our energy and will inspire us and quote unquote, add to our productivity based off of mm -hmm. that, right? Meanwhile, another client where we're arguably offering the same service, yeah. it's way, there's, it's way more depleted, you know? Absolutely, um, yeah. And so I love this notion of starting conversation around how to incorporate an uh, anti-capitalist business practice, I love the fact that it begins to with examining reciprocity and naturally also examining our self-worth. Um, mm. And if I may too, just because I want to make sure we get all these these key you know bones of this yeah. conversation in here, I think this is a really great place to transition to the notion of giving and receiving when it yeah. comes to our business practice. Previous to now, you talked about how part of your journey for building an anti-capitalist business approach included you evaluating your own relationship with giving and receiving. Would you yeah. mind sharing a little bit about what that process looked like for you and, and how did you utilize that information to inform your business structure? Yeah, yeah. I love these questions. Running a business, whether it's a birth work business or some other kind of healing or service-based business, or even if you're selling products or even like so many different types of businesses, it's really going to cause you to question your self-worth. 
in your relationship with asking for money, asking for what you need, with charging people, you know, for things that you might have done for free at one point or for, you know, very cheap at one point. Like a lot of us get into birth work or get into care work um, from, you know, doing free labor at some point, whether it's with your family or friends or whatever. And so starting a business and building a business and running a business means really having those internal conversations around like, how do I feel about like looking somebody in the face and saying, I'm going to charge you $900 for this. And that right there had me shaking in my boots for the longest. Like it, it still makes me nervous, honestly, sometimes to, to say dollar amounts, but I'm learning to you know, stand firm in like, this is a number that I decided, no, it's not too high. You know, I'm going to say that this is how much money I need to feel uh, like this is a valid exchange. And so, you know, we talk about giving and receiving and like everything in life is a balance. Everything is about balance, like balancing um, rest with play, with work, balancing family time with alone time or whatever. Giving and receiving, like if we're out of balance, if we give too much and we're not receiving, that's burnout and that's exhaustion and resentment and frustration and all those things. And I feel like a lot of women in FEMS have been in that position of like, you are a giver, you, you are supposed to give, whether it's emotionally or if you're caretaking or you are just the, you're the mom of your friend group or whatever, like you're expected to give with needing nothing in return, which of course is capitalism. But then on the other side of that, if all you do is receive and you're not giving, then it's, it's almost like hoarding um, in a way. And, you know, when we talk about like eat the billionaires, that's what like the billionaires are hoarding their wealth because all they're doing is receiving and they're not giving, especially because they are benefiting and making money off of other people's labor that other people aren't able to benefit from their own labor. And so, yeah, giving and receiving, it's all a balance. And so figuring out as an entrepreneur and as a small business owner, somebody who's working by themselves and doing all the things, figuring out what is an appropriate exchange for the energy that I'm putting into this thing. So if it's a labor doula package, or if it's a postpartum doula package, or if you are, you know, say a family member hits you up and they're like, Hey, I'm pregnant. Could you support me during my labor? And like, maybe it's a family member that you're really close to. And you're like, Oh yeah, you know, I, I can support you and I love you. I I'm not going to charge you of course, whatever. But then say the family member or the friend, they live three hours away and they want you to be there at the birth. And then they, um, you know, they want you to be there the whole time and it's going to be 12 plus hours, blah, blah, blah. Like the point is that even if you feel like I can give this away, you are still expending time, energy, gas and parking and like all those practical things as well. And that if you charge zero dollars, then you're going to be running at a deficit. If you only charge $50 for 12 hours of work, you're going to be running at a deficit. And so um, in this society, money is the most common way for people to exchange, but we don't, and you know, another way of decolonizing and really thinking about the reciprocity is, yeah, how, what are other ways we can exchange value? So yes, I can support you at the hospital and your husband has a house painting business. Can he paint the exterior of my house and we'll figure, you know, we can figure out the logistics and whether or not we feel like those are equal. And, you know, maybe it's, he paints the outside and he cuts the grass for two months or whatever. So there's two things. One is that can we share a few more examples on what reciprocity can look like outside yeah. of money? So I would like to toss one, one log into the fire, which yeah. is that um, I had a, birth worker friend reach mm -hmm. out and our agreement was a mixture of money and labor because I'm mm -hmm. a new to Michigan's land and gardening and birth worker and their partner have much more knowledge than I and mm -hmm. so arguably that arrangement was way more energizing even those quote-unquote less dollars in yeah. my pocket it was way more energizing and nourishing to to my reserves than perhaps yeah. if it was just the, the money exchange. 
Um, so do you have any other examples that you have used or that other folks in your community have used outside of money exchange? Yeah. So well, I have an example that I didn't use that I wish I did. Um, so when I was training to be a childbirth educator, I had to like deliver my curriculum to a six hour curriculum to a pregnant person to and record it to submit to be graded. And so I was having a hard time looking, finding people because I had no idea what I was doing. And so I was connected by the, the, uh, agency that I was training with, they connected me with a a parent and she wasn't able to pay. But then I found out that day that she was a Reiki practitioner. And I really, really wish I would have arranged for us to like trade Reiki for the childbirth education or some kind of something, because um, I think she also did some other healing work too. But healing work is another really um, popular one, like if somebody's a tarot reader or a massage therapist or a, uh, they do childcare. Childcare is a really great one if you have kids or elder care, you know, pet care, anything like that. Anything that could be helpful for you, even if it's, or if it's in your business, those are like life things, personal life things. But like with your business, um, I had someone that I, uh, a mentee that we went through the mentorship program and what they did was they helped me wrap up a project that I have been having trouble wrapping up. So they came over to the house and they helped me um, wrap up this project, which involves like packing orders and like getting them ready to ship. And then like, it was such a huge help for them to come over for a couple of hours to help me organize and, and put all this stuff together. And then once it was, once they were gone, I was like, wow, this thing probably would have taken me if not twice as long, even longer, because I I have ADHD and I need the accountability sometimes. So that was even um, beneficial for me as well. So yeah, people can like pack orders for you. People can, um, if somebody is good at social media or graphic design or websites, um, they could help with that. If, you know, whatever somebody's career is like, see somehow or a hobby even, see if they could somehow, there's a way to to mesh the two. Thinking about reciprocity, it makes it, about more than just ourselves. And and yeah. part of it also requires that we are connected to our intention. And so yeah. if our intention of our work is to include and to focus, right, on honoring the people that we serve, mm-hmm. that means that acknowledging how them offering something in exchange for our services, that is also part of honoring them because yeah. it, it it contributes to folks feeling and like an active participant in this yeah. relationship and in this exchange also in the context, especially for communities of color, there's a lot of shame and guilt that's put around um, asking for help or asking for discounts. Yes. And so just knowing how it can be and is often is an empowering experience to give something meaningful to someone who is playing an intimate role in our lives. And so one of the ways to consider for folks, especially if they haven't already participated in reciprocity outside of monetary stuff is y'all like put it on your form and have a section being like, you know, maybe it's a separate form for folks that you accept discounts or provide quote unquote free labor, whatever. But like, maybe you have that on there talking about what reciprocity means to you, giving some examples just to help people start to brainstorm and then asking yeah. them, like, what is something that comes easily to you, a skill, and then give some examples, right? Like Kai just mentioned a few, another one that folks, again, because people don't um, value, quote unquote, women's labor. Um, if someone is highly involved in their community and they spend a lot of their life actively communicating with others, that's a huge resource. Yes. So, so maybe part of the agreement for example, is that your next workshop, your next uh, childbirth education course, maybe part of the actual signed contract is a bullet point of them agreeing to post on their Facebook forums your announcement three times, or them Mm. sending out personalized emails to their community, maybe with a short snippet about what it was like to work with you. Some people, that's going to be horrible, super labor intensive. It sounds miserable, right? A lot of the introverted Mm. folks listening to this are probably cringing. And a lot of extroverted folks, that feels really good. That is it their feels jam. Really good. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so I just want to also, you know, put that out there for us to consider, you know, putting some of this creativity and brainstorming yeah. as an invitation to the folks that we serve. And then the other thing I want to mention too is, um, and I learned so much about this from Kingya, K-I-N-G space Y-A-A, AKA the queer birth worker on Instagram. Kingya gave this epic presentation on the birth platform specifically about white saviorism and and a lot of things came from that but part of what my big takeaways was how white saviorism is something that is perpetuated not just by white people in industries that tend to be dominated specifically by white women have a lot of this embedded in the culture and so then therefore those of us who are uh, folks of color black indigenous etc we unknowingly or perhaps unintentionally perpetuate this savior aspect. And so part of this, so I bring this up around saviorism because it's important to ask ourselves about what role our ego is playing when we are giving for free. Because yes. when we quote unquote give for free, a lot of times, especially if you are offering free services to someone who is has different positionality as you in terms of privilege, a lot of times it's actually done out of ego rather than out of service. And what it does is it perpetuates this power dynamic that we are doing you a favor by showing up to your birth and you yeah. should be grateful and I'm saving you from yourself and your ignorance and blah, blah, blah. I mean, those are some ugly words, but y'all, like there's some ugly things that we've internalized Um, as birth workers without knowing and so I just want to throw that for something to consider and also another thing too about white saviorism is that it it weaves in a notion of Christianity this notion of white femininity being based on helping poor others like and obviously Christianity is something that is really enriched in a lot of black and brown communities. So it's not just white folk, but that's something also for us to consider. And that's a whole rabbit hole that maybe we, who knows, maybe we can invite Kingya for a conversation. They, they tend to not enjoy podcasts, but I could hopefully try to bribe them. But, um, <laughs> but, but from there, for your own process of creating this approach to your business, you listed how living your values is so important yeah as uh, to be reflected in your in your business operations right your business strategies would you mind giving us a few examples of what your values are and explicitly how you've woven into your business strategies yeah absolutely so i think the biggest thing before i get into my actual values cuz I, I like to pull them up and read them verbatim because if i try to come off the top of my head i won't get them right so let me pull those up but as I do that, I, I I really lean into the personal being political. And it took me a, a long time for that to kind of click, um, for me to really understand that like, oh, like the things that I do on a day-to-day basis really are, they add up. Like the little things add up to the big things. And you'll look back you know, after a year or five years or 10 years. And it's like, okay, we think sometimes we think like, oh yeah, you know, it's not bad if we just do this one thing. Um, You know, if I cheat this one person or if I, whatever, but it, it all really does add up. And so I'm really like, when I say like, let your values and your intentions guide you. Yes. So that we don't get off track, but also because getting off track isn't just like a couple of steps off track from a like a geometry standpoint if you go one degree off track your destination is completely different but then also like the personal is political so like if if you're not treating people well or if you're doing shady stuff even if you think it's just little things it it adds up and it's um you know if you're if you're not treating people right if you're not doing if you're not doing right by people, it, it I feel like it always comes back to bite you in the butt. So I feel like that's part of it. Um, right. Question. Yeah. Obviously, this is off track because this is a, such a sloppy question. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> off script, I mean. I'm ready. Um, so how do you self-determine when you are successfully reflecting your values? Like, is it through structures? Is it through 
accountability relationships? Do you have like a ritual yeah. or a, a seasonal check-in? Like, how do you, how do you know? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the first thing is to identify what your personal values are. And I think that's an important thing to do before you identify your business values. And for a lot of people, your personal business values might be the same, especially if you're a one person show and your business is just like your brainchild, then it's probably going to have your values, at least at the beginning, which is fine. But I think we kind of talk about values, but if we don't, if you haven't defined what your values are for you, then the conversation is kind of pointless. So, you know, making sure that like, you know what your values are. And like, for me, one of my values specifically in business is to pay people a living wage. Like if I have the ability to pay someone to pay them money that, you know, that I would appreciate having, like if I know that I wouldn't take a job that's $15 an hour, then I'm not going to pay $15 an hour. And that also means that like, I, I try to be as you know honest as I can be with, with people and things like that. And I think as far as accountability, sometimes the things that you do, you know, are in relationship with someone else. Like if you hire a contractor or if you are working with a client, but sometimes it's, it's just you and there's nobody else to hold you accountable. But I think for me, what I do then is I think about my ideal client. Um, and I think about, you know, black, queer and trans families and black, queer and trans folks. And like, those are the people that I'm doing this work for. And so does this benefit them? Or is this something that um, would be helpful for them? And so that's one thing that I, that I, if, if it's only me that's looking at this thing, then I really try to come back to, is this beneficial for my ideal client? Or if it's something that like, say it's like a business decision that I have to make and I'm the only person in my business. So I'm the only one that makes that decision. Even if nobody is going to check me or nobody is going to, um, you know, get me in trouble or fire me for doing something that doesn't align with my values. I know that I want my business to be bigger than me. And I want my business to be a, a catalyst for change. And so like what I don't want is a lot of those things that I saw when I was younger working in nonprofits and education where we say one thing and we do another. Our values are, you know, inclusion and equity and blah, 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 blah. But then all the black people work in support roles. So like, what's the truth? Uh, and I know how that feels, you know, from an employee standpoint or from a student standpoint or whatever. And so like, I don't, I just don't want to live my life in that way. I made a conscious decision that I want to make, I want to live a life that I feel good about and that I'm not screwing people over and like, you know, constantly looking for ways to scam people. Now, I, I think there's nothing wrong with scamming capitalism and scamming the systems, but scamming individual people, I feel like is a, is a, uh, is different. And so. Right. I also want to yeah. throw out too, though, the language scamming has a connotation of in folks who are intentionally doing harm, unless we do the work to unlearn, especially if we were raised in mainstream culture here, like we are mm -hmm. embodying harmful ways of being. So even yeah. with the best of intentions, unless we actually do the labor of thinking about how this exists systemically and how this exists culturally, then you could have the most inclusive website where all your babies are brown and like your language <laughs> uses gender neutral but if you haven't invested your energy in yeah. exploring your own facets of identity around privilege and power yeah. if you haven't done trainings and focused on hearing the birth stories of queer and trans folks mm -hmm. let alone queer and trans birth workers who support queer and trans folks y'all you're not living your intention you're using a fad to promote yourself. And I say yeah. that because there's a lot of folks who come to this platform with the invitation, you know, with the desire to do better, right? This desire to show up with integrity. And sometimes the whole spiritual bypassing bullshit of like, mm -hmm. well, I feel so good about myself because I can, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I like to cut that shit. Like what's the saying? Nip it in the bud. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, um, Kai, friend, I know I'm totally cutting you off, but we have gone over and I want everyone to know, including us, that these conversations are just beginning. I'm so yes. honored and excited to have you as a guest and that you already signed 
um, that will forever exist till the end of time, your agreement to come back and have more conversations. Um, And in closing, I have a choose your own adventure for you. Option A, are there any pieces of advice that you want to offer to folks who are, whether it be resources or just general advice, for folks who are actively wanting to rewrite their business strategy so that it focuses on anti-capitalist strategies, all right? So option A, or option B, do you want to tell us a little bit about what to expect from your platform and your offerings in 2022? Yeah, um, I'm going to cheat and do a little bit of both. Um, (laughs) Just a little. So really, it, it all really comes down to the inner healing and the inner work, whether it is I mean, the ancestral work also, whether your ancestors, which side of history your ancestors were on, reconciling that with your, um, you know, with your current identities and your current positioning in the world and uh, really, really doing that inner work, that shadow work, that work that we don't want to do to really do that healing, because that's the root of it. I think anything else, like you were saying, Ari, like, People can have the intention of wanting to do better, but if you don't really go into the root of doing that inner work, then it's always going to be a flash in the pan or like a, a, a fad. So that inner work is what's going to get you to this place that in this magically, uh, this magical mythical place that everyone is healed and everyone is happy. Like we have to do that inner work. Um, And as each of us does inner work, we're healing our lineages forward, backwards, and around us. We're healing our communities. And everybody wants to do this big outward thing, but it's really all about doing that inner work. And then with that being said, Kalunti Reproductive Justice Center has, we do have some stuff coming up in 2022 that I'm really excited for. So one thing is that we always have available, we have some on-demand courses on our uh, digital product platform. And we also have some workbooks and ebooks as well. So that is learn.kaluntu.center. And you can go on there and you can see there are, there should be five courses. There might be more, who knows, by the time this is released. But we have one about building your birth justice business, which is a really great one to start with if you want to think about a lot of these things we've talked about today. Um, of course, I, uh, oh, and the digital products are things like um, helping you find your niche your business name, really figuring out the type of business that you want to have. Um, And then some really cool things that I have coming up this year. We're going to have another cohort of the Birth Justice Mentorship Program where we talk about a lot of these things in 2022. So keep an eye out for that. Um, We're also, there's also going to be a monthly membership program that's coming soon that's going to be centered around birth justice, which is going to be geared towards folks who have um, had a lot of these conversations and have been building their birth justice business and want some support around um, keeping that business going. And then I have one other thing, which is, it kind of ties, it ties into all this, but it's a little bit more specific. So this, it's a three-day content creation workshop called Divine Design. And we talk about purposeful uh, digital content strategies and really what is your digital uh, communication intention. We talk about branding and uh, design theory, and we talk about Canva and making like some different Canva tips and tricks to make your stuff cute and on brand and all of that, but also using digital and online communication to further your larger message of birth justice or, um, you know, whatever your particular message is around birth. So those are some of the things that are going to be coming up. Divine Design will be happening in late January, early February. Uh, hopefully, well, we will definitely have a, um, a date solidified by the time this comes out. So definitely be on the lookout for that. And follow us on Instagram at RJC as well. I'm so glad I was muted for all that because I was just so, like my body was like, ooh, Mm, like I was making so much noise (laughs) those offerings sound hella legit and I am wildly excited I mean speaking of birth uh like of business practices one of the things that I was really shifting for my 2022 is including in my business plan funds Mm -hmm. for continuing education and specifically 
continuing education learning from black and indigenous folks um and and up until then for some reason i hadn't considered all those trainings and workshops and books like i hadn't considered i that was like extracurricular in terms Mm. of how how i viewed my finances which is total bullshit um so yeah part of me realizing how i had internalized patriarchal white supremacist bullshit that minimum you know devalues that sort of stuff and making it sound extra you know like yeah that was that was that was one of my more recent unlearnings I didn't realize I had internalized that so anywho y'all Akai it's been such an honor I am so excited to be sharing this conversation with our community and y'all um take a look at the show notes for how to contact Kai and also the links to check out their online platform. And friend, we will see you soon. We'll see you soon and have you back. Awesome. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. And thank you again for having me on here. I can talk about this stuff all day. So I, yeah, can't wait for more conversations. And I am excited to connect with folks after they hear this. Thanks for listening to the Birth Bruja podcast. Be sure to check out show notes for a list of resources mentioned during today's episode. Are you interested in learning more about the intersections discussed today? Visit birthbruja.com. We are an online educational platform devoted to decolonial approaches to healing and reproductive care. Offerings range from pre-recorded courses, ebooks, live workshops, and more. Want to keep this podcast running? First, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite listening platform. Second, visit birthbruja.com and check out our store to purchase apparel with one of many badass designs. Until next time, friends, thank you for all the ways you show up in this world. Blessings and gratitude.